I'm Pastor Gerald Rico, and this message is a part of our online ministry here at River of Life in Menominee, Wisconsin. To find out more about us, please visit our website, riveroflife.co. Again, that is riveroflife.co. But for now, prepare your heart and enjoy this message. Good morning, church. I am so excited to be with you today. Um... Let me first just by, you know, mention really quickly. So this is my family as he introduced us. My wife, Angie, we've uh, celebrated 18 years of marriage just a couple months ago. Um, my daughter, Ellie, uh, she is 15 years old now. And my son, Jaron, he's 14. And um, if you couldn't tell this morning when we were standing up front, but my son is now taller than my wife is. And, and some of you are like, well, missionary, come on, get an updated photo. We took this picture two weeks ago. No, I, no I'm, ki- I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Here's an update. There's a, oh man, it's jumping ahead on me. Button's really picky, As I was growing up in life, I... Can you go to the slide number <laughs> two? What's it doing? I pushed the forward button. That's the button to hit, right? <laughs> Let me try it again. There it is. Okay, <laughs> so there they are. There's our family together. Uh, let me start by just sharing. Um, I'm really huge into acronyms. I love them. Like, I make them up all the time. And whenever I do, I have to first run them by my wife because some of them are so, I'm sorry, yeah, my wife is like, put the mic up here. Here we go. I'm, so I love my acronyms. And uh, so whenever I make them up, I have to run them by my wife first because some of them are really terrible. And she's like, you can never share that with anybody. But this is one that I came up with, which is our vision statement, and it's live by the list. And list stands for L is love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and strength. And the second, to love your neighbor as yourself. Everything that we do in Christ is, falls under this requirement, that if we don't love people, then we don't do it. That's what we're called to do, is to love. The second thing is invite. And that's to invite people to live life with us. Not just to invite them to come to a Sunday morning service on Sunday or to go to a youth service on Wednesday night or to some small group thing, but life together. We tell our students, like, hey, if you're going to go study, invite someone to study with you. If you're going to go have a meal, invite someone to eat with you. If you're going to go home for the weekend to have your mother do your laundry for you, take someone with you to have her do their laundry too. Everything that we do, we do together in community. We invite people to live life with us. And as they live life with us, you talk about the things that you love. And when students are abiding in Jesus and they're building their relationship with him, he's going to come up in their conversations. And people are going to see that Jesus isn't just someone that we follow on Sundays, but he's a part of our everyday life. Amen? S is to serve, and that is to serve the camp as Jesus left heaven and came down and served. And we are called to do the same. We are his representatives, so we have come to serve as well. And then T, that is to transform the world through missions. You see, Mormons, they're required to give two years to missions. Christians give excuses. And so we tell our students, listen, when you're done with college, before you get the spouse and the house, give a year. Give a year to missions and pray about a lifetime. We tell our students that every student gives to missions, every student prays for missions, Every student goes on mission, and every student welcomes international students. We live by the list. So I want to share first 
a little bit about Lawrence University because we were serving on that campus when we first started here. Is this button going to work for me? Let me see. There we go. Okay, now it's working, Pastor. So an update on Lawrence University, I'm going to start with some bad news here, is we knew going into this campus, a small private school in Appleton, Wisconsin, and we knew it was going to be hard. One of the first things that you do as a campus pastor when you're getting ready to pioneer ministry is you call every church within the district and say, do you have any students that are coming to this campus? We want to meet with them and cast vision about how we want to reach their campus. I couldn't find a final any church that knew about Lawrence University, let alone have any students going there. In fact, the closest I got was a pastor said to me, oh, I know Lawrence University. My brother went there. He no longer serves Jesus. That was the closest we got. So when we started on this campus, we had zero students going in. And it was hard ground to till through. We had to get through cement before we could get to any soil on this campus. Now, after a few years of trying to get a ministry planted here, we finally got a student that was willing to say, hey, let's give it a shot. So we filled out an application to be recognized by the school, gave them our constitution, says, here's what we're going to do. We're going to give you two weeks trial period to see how it goes. So we went ahead and we did it during those two weeks, which was just weird. Like when we called our national office, said two weeks trial period, what is that? That's Lawrence University. So during those two weeks, we rocked it. We welcomed people from all walks of life into our group. We had people that were atheists, homosexuals, transgenders that were coming to our meetings and hearing about Jesus. I got to sit down with one transgender and share the gospel with this person who had completely mutilated her body to look like a boy. And I shared about how Jesus loves her and created her in his image, and she's weeping before because no one had ever told her that before. At the end of those two weeks, the school emailed us and said, you guys did an amazing job. You welcomed people. You let them say what they believed without condemning them. And it was just amazing. Good job. We're denying your access to our campus. And the reason being is, is they didn't like that we were reaching people that were outside of the faith. See, they were hoping that we would just come to their campus and just find those Christian students and give them a bubble to exist in. But see, Christianity is not an in-reach, it's an outreach. We want to reach the lost. So after that, I went to the Dean of Spirituality on campus and says, hey, they're denying our access. She says, I'll tell you what, I'll let you use this upper room that we have in our, in our building. You can just meet up there with the few students that you have. I'm like, great, thank you. The first night that we were there, a young lady walked in and said, hey, can I borrow this easel from you guys? And I said, sure, what do you need it for? And she says, <coughs> Excuse me. He says, I'm starting an atheist club downstairs. And I said, oh. I said, I thought there was already an atheist club on campus because I used to be friends with the president of that group. He says, well, no, they're gone. She's graduated. And I just thought they were too hostile, so I wanted to start something that was a little bit nicer. And I'm like, that's amazing. I said, listen, we're part of a Christians group, and these are our students. And I would love to build a relationship with you because Christians here at Lawrence really feel ostracized and unwelcome. She's like, okay. So she walked out of the room, and the next day I get a call from the Dean of Spirituality saying, I need to see you in my office. So I went to her office, and she said, the students of the Atheist Club came to us and complained that you said that Christians were ostracized, and they were offended by that. So you need to apologize to them. And I said to her, do you not see the irony of the conversation we are having 
right now. You are literally ostracizing my students. And she's like, oh. I said, I am not going to apologize for telling the truth. I said, I would love to meet with these atheist students and have a conversation with them and love them, but I'm not going to lie. My students are ostracized. I was getting ready to fly to Nicaragua on a missions trip with some students, and when I was standing in the airport getting ready to get on this plane, my wife Angie calls me and says, hey, I was just meeting with somebody that's another a missionary on the campus from another ministry, and as I was meeting with her, she said, hey, I'm really sorry about that news article that was written about you guys in the school paper. My wife is like, what are you talking about? So my wife called me and says, read this article, and it was a hit piece on us from an anonymous student that said that we were awful towards the campus, that we hated everyone in the LGBTQ, that I personally made jokes about them all the time, that we told our students, don't associate with them, they're not welcome, just blatant lies, it was fake news. My first response was, how dare they? This is defamation of character. We got a hold of our lawyers and everybody in the national level to say, what do we do about this? And so. When I got back from Nicaragua, I had to go to Springfield, Missouri, the Mecca of the Assemblies of God. And as I sat down with them, they said, listen, Lawrence University is a private campus, so you have no rights there. They've already denied your access. Maybe it's just time to pull. And when I got back home to Wisconsin, I sat down with my director, Joshua Ernst, I've been trying for five years to get on this campus. I said, if I have to pull off this campus, because you're going to be the one that pulls me because I can't do it. Because I'm not a quitter. And he says, I'm calling it. You have to pull. Church, can I tell you about that news article? Here's the thing. Is one, I wear it as a badge of honor because Jesus said the world hated him first. In fact, if you don't have people despising you because of your faith, you may not be living it right. But here's the thing that bothered me. Students read it and believed it, which means they didn't get an opportunity to hear how much we actually love them and that Jesus loves them and wants a relationship with them. Please pray for Lawrence University. I believe God wants to do something there. Now, it's not all bad news. Like I said, we did have students that came to our group. Matter of fact, this is one of them. Garrett was a student that was invited by another one of our students, and he was agnostic. He wasn't really sure. Is there a God? I'm not really sure. There may be a higher power. So he started coming to all of our meetings, and he had amazing questions. He's like, you really wanted to know, is this God thing real? And towards the end of the school year, we were meeting in a coffee shop because we couldn't meet on campus at this time. And one particular large group week, Garrett was the only student that showed up. This is Lawrence University. They're, they're just fickle students there. But my wife and I weren't going to allow this opportunity to pass by, so we sat down and answered more of Garrett's questions. And towards the end of that conversation, I felt the Holy Spirit say that he was ready to receive him. And so I said, Garrett, I believe the Lord is drawing you to himself. He's inviting you to a relationship. Would you like to ask Jesus into your life today? And he said, can I do that in a coffee shop? I said, you can do it anywhere, man. And so right there, he gave his life to the Lord. Went back to the state of Washington, and it got plugged into a church. 
and is trying to reach his family with the gospel of Jesus himself. When my wife and I, when we first started at Lawrence, we were doing this s'more table where you could cook s'mores over little sternal cans. What was really great about that is that when a sternal came up, when a, when a student came up, they couldn't just grab something and go. They had to cook that marshmallow for a couple minutes, which means I had them captive for at least two minutes. And so we were inviting students to the Alpha course, which is an eight-week series on the basics of the faith. And this young man, Devin, approached our table. And I said, hey, man, why don't you come check this thing out? He says, I'm willing to do that. So well, let me sign you up. What's your name? Devin. And Devin, what's your last name? He said, gay, like by sexual orientation. That was his introduction to us. And Devin came to every single meeting we had, and he argued with everything that we said because he was an atheist. And Devin came all four years of his college career. In fact, Devin was one of my most evangelical students we had and that he invited more people to Chi Alpha than my Christian students did. His friends started rejecting him because they were sick of hearing about Chi Alpha. And even after a three-hour conversation about sexual purity, Devin kept coming. And after conversations and conversations of me sitting down with him at McDonald's over French fries because he loved McDonald's, and he would share his sexual exploits with me from every weekend. He was a deviant, hoping that he would get a rise out of me in some way. But here's the thing, church. Sinners sin. That's their job. I expect them to live that way. And I asked Devin one time, I said, Devin, you don't believe in anything that we say. Why do you come? And he said to me, because no one has ever loved me like you have. That's what we're called to do, church. We're not called to condemn the world of sin. We're not here to convict the world of sin. That's the Holy Spirit's job. Our job is to share with people, here's what Jesus did in my life, and I believe he can do it in yours. Now, at the end of Devin's college career, he did not become a Christian. But I moved him from atheist to agnostic, so I moved him up the ladder. Now, can I tell you that a little while ago, Devin had sent me a message on Facebook, and this is what he said. I have finally accepted Jesus Christ into my life. I completely found him. You were right. Thank you for being a guiding force in my life. Church, if that doesn't excite you, I don't know what will. Amen? Now, I ran downstairs yelling to my wife, Angie, Devin gave his life to the Lord. I can't believe it. And she says, well, it is April 1st. I'm like, no, Devin wouldn't do that to me. So I got on a Skype call with Devin. And, and church, I want you to hear this. This is important. I got online with him, and I said, Devin, what happened? And he said, I was working at a Jimmy John's, and a guy walked in and said, I go to this church down the street, and I'd like to invite you. Devin said to me, because he had been loved those four years by Chi Alpha, he was willing to give it a shot. And that first Sunday, he gave his life to the Lord. I planted a seed. Someone else watered it. God made it grow. Amen? Church, understand this. Devin's story and him coming to faith, you made that possible by your giving so I could buy him french fries every week. You laugh, but I'm serious. I wish I could have been the one that led him to the Lord. I cried every week over this student. But God got him.
And I want to encourage you, maybe you have friends and family that you're like, man, I keep on telling them. I keep on telling them, God, what are you going to do? When are you going to do something? God's word doesn't return to him void. I want to encourage you to keep on praying for your loved ones that don't know Jesus. They are not too far away from the hand of God. Now, can I tell you, I want to encourage you with another story. When I was my third year in at Lawrence University, and it was really hard, I was driving home one day from the campus crying in my car, saying, I can't do this. I'm not any good at it. You've got to send someone else. Has anyone else ever felt that way? And here's what the Lord said to me. Brian, I also want you to go check out UW-Green Bay. And I'm like, you're not listening to me, God. <laughs> I'm not any good at this. But then the next day, my friend Joshua Ernst, again, the director in our state, gave me a call, and he said, Brian, I was praying the other day, and I felt like the Lord say, I think you should go check out UW-Green Bay. I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. I started prayer walking that campus, and church, can I just tell you, low-hanging fruit. In fact, so much so that when I, just this last year, even amidst COVID happening on our campus, Angie and I could not be on campus, so we told the student leaders we had, if this ministry is going to grow, it's because you do the work. We'll equip you, we'll resource you, but you've got to go out and make disciples. And at the end of the school year, during our apprenticeship training, for those that were going to be disciple leaders themselves next year, we had a table, a small table with candles on it. And all these students that came up and said they were going to serve next year lit these candles on that table. Can I tell you, we had more candles on that table than we ever had in attendance at Lawrence University. And I stood in front of that table and I was weeping because I remembered the time when I was crying in my car, God, I can't do this. And the Lord reminded me in the word about the parable of the talents. And God said to me, you didn't bury the talent I gave you. And because you were faithful with the little I gave you, now I'm going to give you a harvest. Church, can I encourage you that maybe you're like, you're not seeing the fruit of your labor yet? There's a harvest that's coming. God will bring the harvest in your life as you serve him. Now, how do we do that? Just as a reminder, here's what Chi Alpha does. One is that we're there to protect the investment. Right now, statistically speaking, 77% of youth group attending teenagers, when they graduate from high school, will stop going to church and never go again. That means 8 out of 10 of the kids that we raise in the faith stop going. And a lot of them go to our secular universities where the professors and their fellow classmates say, there is no God. And they don't know how to defend their faith, and so they say, my professor must know more than me and more than my parents. They've got a Ph.D., must be right, and they walk away. Now, a lot of parents, they see that, and they say, oh, good, that means you're there to make sure my kid keeps on serving Jesus. My wife and I, we're not just a safety net. When we receive a Christian student into our ministry, and we're able to teach them what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, how to share the gospel message effectively, how to share their personal testimony of why does Jesus matter to them, and we see them and filled with the power of the Holy Spirit because we believe that the gifts are available to them, they become radical disciple makers themselves. I'm on a campus of about nine to 10,000 students. I can't reach them by myself. So we ask students, help us reach this campus. Why? Because I want to reach the lost. A lot of people call me campus pastor, but my first job description is U.S. missionary. 
my wife and I are missionaries to the second largest atheist agnostic nation in the world. Only China has more people than we do now that says there is no God. On top of that, international students. You know, we were just talking about missionaries that are going overseas, and I support missionaries overseas. We believe in giving to them. But just as the pastor said, first of all, they have to raise enormous budgets before they can go a lot of times. And then when they get there, on average, it takes about two years for them to learn the culture and the language. Now, we have students that are coming to our college campuses from all over the world, from some places that are close to the gospel. They know how to speak English. They want to make friends with Americans. And we have the freedom right now to share about Jesus with them. And so if we can reach them with the gospel, they don't have to raise a budget. They don't have to learn a cultural language. They just go home and tell their friends and family coworkers about this Jesus they met through this group called Chi Alpha. We get to do that in our ministry. Now, a couple stories I want to share with you about Green Bay. There's one student. We were doing this event on campus called Something in a Mug, and it's where you can come and grab this. We had all these random mugs on a table, and students can come up and grab one, and then we had all these drinking stations that they could get different drinks like Rip Your Floats and, and Coffee Punch and all these other things. And one student that came to that, his name was Alex. And Alex, while he was there, was invited by our students to a sober house party that our students were throwing. Get this, church. So my wife and I, we allowed the students, our students, to throw a rager at our house on a Friday night. We got caterers, right? I got Red Bull to cater our party. I had cases of Red Bull in my living room. Students were taking pictures of themselves shotgunning Red Bulls. They were playing bull pong instead of beer pong. My wife says, don't post on any of those pictures. Our churches and supporters won't get it. So I didn't do that. Okay, so we had all these sponsors for this party. I had to go to all of our neighbors and knock on their doors and say, hey, rager at my house this weekend. Please don't call the cops. No drugs, no alcohol. It's a sober house party. Went to the police station, which is just around the corner from my house, and said, hey, we're throwing a huge rager. No drugs, no alcohol. Please don't come bust us. The next night after the party, our students tell us they had a great time at the party. I'm sitting in the living room, and all of a sudden, on Saturday night, there's a knock on my door. I go to answer it, and here's this student, Alex, standing in front of me. I'm like, hey, Alex, what's up? He says, well, I'm here for the party. I'm like, oh, no, man, that was yesterday. You missed it. Sorry, man, nothing's going on tonight. He's like, oh. He's like, I took an Uber here. I said, I'll tell you what, man, let's just you and I have a, a little party ourselves. So I took him out for some frozen custard, and we sat in the living room, and I began to share the gospel with him. And here's how you, church, this is how you start the gospel. It's not in the beginning God created. This is how the gospel starts. Are you ready? For those of you that are not aware, tell me your story. I asked Alex about his story. We need to know where people are coming from and what they've gone through to see how the gospel of Jesus connects with them. And Alex began to tell me his story, how he comes from a broken home that his father was very abusive. In fact, so much so that sometimes in some of our meetings, Alex would be curled up in a ball in a corner crying, please no, please no, because he was having constant flashbacks of his father beating him. Alex writes, as a writer, and he writes these really dark stories about murder. And in fact, Alex didn't believe that his life was worth anything, that, it was, that maybe it was time to take it. He was thinking about ending his life. And then I shared with Alex my story. Because I come from a broken home, too. I come from abuse. 
But then Jesus came into my life. And I invited Alex. I said, listen, I want you to be a part of our family so you can see how real family is supposed to be and let us love you. And Alex started coming to our meetings. And here's Alex in his own words just sharing his story. As I was growing up in life, I was taught that fear was everything. Fear was what drove the world around. And in that fear, the only way I could combat it was if I chose to adapt certain features on myself. If I would be liked enough, I wouldn't have to be afraid of a person. If I was different or better or just a new person that I wouldn't have to acknowledge what was going on in my life and that I would be able to move past it with a relationship that either I wanted or I thought I needed or just be able to move on, be something, do more. As things got worse at home, things really got worse at home, I'm not going to lie. As I adopted more features into my life, I would just keep on piling them on, piling them on. It would be more and more until I was unable to see what I had changed to be for someone or what I had changed to be about myself or what I personally thought. But then Jesus came into my life when I had lost all hope. I thought that I was supposed to be the random news story that you'd hear that was tragic in that one moment, and you'd ponder about it and then move on. I thought that I was, that's all I was left to do. But he gave me a chance. He gave me a chance when I didn't believe in myself. He taught me that, just like it is in Second Timothy 1, 7, I believe, that I was not given a spirit of fear, but I was given one of power, of love, of self-control when I had felt nothing but hate and chaos and fear. It, it changed my life and even now I'm ever changing, ever evolving, but I'm not just amassing certain features to myself. I'm finally understanding who I am and what I'm able to do with him in my life. Amen. I'm going to move a little quickly here for you guys because I want to be sure that we end at a decent time here. But let me share with you, Alex, after he gave his life to the Lord, after he gave his life to the Lord, he was water baptized at Spencer Lake in the freezing cold weather in October. My, I couldn't feel my legs. Later on, a few weeks later, filled with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. This year, Alex was voted as the president of our student organization and is currently leading a small group of five to six guys himself how to be followers of Jesus as well. 2 Timothy 2, 2 says, the things that you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses and trust to reliable people that will teach others. In that short little verse, you have four generations of disciples that make disciples that make disciples that make disciples. That's what we're called to do. And that's what Alex is doing. As I said about international students, I had the opportunity to meet a young man that was cooking a s'more on campus who had a marshmallow on a stick and it was on fire and he was doing this with it. 
So I ran over to him. No, 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 you're going to kill somebody. So I helped him put out his marshmallow, make his s'more, and I said, what's your name? He says, Zirak. I'm Zirak, where are you from? He says, I'm from Pakistan. I said, I don't know anything about Pakistan. I would love to have coffee with you. The next day we're having coffee. I'm hearing about his home and about his life. And he's a Muslim student, an ambassador of his country. And I said, man, we're a Christian group, and we love internationals, and I'd love to invite you to be a part of our family as you're away from yours. He said, that sounds amazing. Can I bring some other people with me? I'm like, yes. And at our meeting, he brought another friend named Saki, who's also from Pakistan. Saki has started coming to our meetings. I don't have enough time to tell you some amazing stories that God did, but let me just tell you this. He would come out of our worship service one time, and he said to me, Brian, what was that? I've never experienced anything like that in my life. And I said to him, listen, because you pray five times a day to Allah and experience nothing, but my God is alive and wants a relationship with you. And what you experience was the Holy Spirit. And I said to him, listen, we both believe that Jesus came, but you see, you believe that he was just a great prophet and that God, the God Allah would not allow him to die on the cross. He wouldn't allow that to happen to one of his prophets. But I believe that he is the son of God and that he gave his life up and he died on our behalf and rose from the grave. One of us is wrong. And he said, you're right. And so we started studying the scriptures. We studied who Muhammad was and who Jesus was. So he went back home to Pakistan, not a believer yet. I believe God is going to reach him. He sends me messages all the time saying, I wear my Chi Alpha shirt on my university. And people are like, what's Chi Alpha? He says, it's this Christian group back in the States that was amazing and they loved me. They're so great. Listen, if Muslims could just come home and not hate Christians, that'd be a step in the right direction. Amen? When Saki and Zirak got back home to Pakistan, they sent me a message and say, hey, there's a young girl named Sajila from Pakistan that's coming to your university. And we told her when she gets there, she has to find Kayalfa. And Sajila came, and she brought her friend named Arij, who's from Tunisia. And Arij loved Kayalfa so much after her first semester that she wanted to come back and applied for her visa to be extended, and it was. I never thought I'd have the opportunity to minister to Muslim people. In fact, when I went to Trinity Bible College, there was a classes on missions. You could take different ones, and there was one for Africa. I was like, I'm going to take that one, but just don't send me there. That was my thing to the Lord. Because I'm like, I can't minister to Muslims. And the Lord honored that, so he brought people from that type of culture to me. Isn't that amazing? That's what God does. I want to finish with this thought, and then I'll turn it over to the pastor. Told you guys that I really love acronyms, and I do. And here's one that I made up about COVID. It's Christians onto victory and discipleship. Church, I want to encourage you with this. Whenever there's been a pandemic through history, the church grew. Why? Because when the rest of the world rejected the people that were sick and dying from the plague and things like that, the church went in and loved those people. Why? Because we know there's an empty tomb from 2,000 years ago. We know the hope that we have. Can I encourage you that this community in Menominee needs people to know that about themselves and not walk in fear of COVID. I am not encouraging you to walk out that door and go hug every person you meet. 
but I am encouraging you to be the hope. Let people see the hope that you have in Jesus Christ because they need it right now. I had an elder. I went to visit one of my supporters. She sends me $5 a month, this 81-year-old woman. I'm like, I'm going to go visit her and just thank her for being a partner of mine. And when I went to her apartment, I knocked on her door, and she opened it. She started weeping before me. And she said to me, you're the first person I've seen in over a year. Except for my food delivery guy. And I thought to myself, church, where are you? That is unacceptable. So I am encouraging you. There are people in Menominee that need to be invited into the community that you have in Christ. Go be a Christian that is walking in victory, making disciples. That's not just my mandate. That's all of our mandates. Amen?